Chapter Twenty of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three Are Enlisted. Now, in that blazing noon, Canaan looked upon a strange sight an open carriage whirling through Main Street behind two galloping bays. Upon the back seat, a ghostly white old man with closed eyes supported by two pale ladies his head upon the shoulder of the taller while beside the driver a young man whose coat and hands were bloody worked over the hurts of an injured dog sam warden's whip sang across the horses lather gathered on their flanks and ariel's voice steadily urged on the pace quicker sam if you can for there was little breath left in the body of eskew harp Mamie, almost as white as the old man, was silent, but she had not hesitated in her daring now that she had been taught to dare. She had not come to be Ariel's friend and honest follower for nothing, and it was Mamie who had cried to Joe to lift Eskew into the carriage. You must come too, she said. We will need you. And so it came to pass that under the eyes of Canaan, Joe Loudon rode in Judge Pike's carriage at the bidding of judge pike's daughter toward ariel's own house they sped with the stricken octogenarian for he was alone in the world and she would not take him to the cottage where he had lived for many years by himself a bleak little house a derelict of the early days left stranded far down in the town between a woollen mill and the waterworks the workmen were beginning their dinners under the big trees, but as Sam Warden drew in the lathered horses at the gate, they set down their tin buckets hastily and ran to help Joe lift the old man out. Carefully they bore him into the house and laid him upon a bed in one of the finished rooms. He did not speak or move, and the workmen uncovered their heads as they went out. But Joe knew they were mistaken. "'It's all right, Mr. Arp,' he said as ariel knelt by the bed with water and restoratives it's all right don't you worry then the veteran's lips twitched and though his eyes remained closed joe saw that eskew understood for he gasped feebly positively no free seats to mrs loudon sewing at an upstairs window the sight of her stepson descending from judge pike's carriage was sufficiently startling but when she saw mamie pike take respectability from his master's arms and carry him tenderly indoors while joe and ariel occupied themselves with mr arp the good lady sprang to her feet as if she had been stung regardlessly sending her work-basket and its contents scattering over the floor and ran down the stairs three steps at a time at the front door she met her husband entering for his dinner and she leaped at him had he seen what was it what had happened mr loudon rubbed his chin beard indulging himself in a pause which was like to prove fatal to his companion finally vouchsafing the information that the doctor's buggy was just turning the corner erskew arp had suffered a stroke it was said and in loudon's opinion was a mighty sick man his spouse replied in no uncertain terms that she had seen quite that much for herself urging him to continue 
which he did with a deliberation that caused her to recall her wedding day with a gust of passionate self-reproach presently he managed to interrupt reminding her that her dining-room windows commanded as comprehensive a view of the next house as did the front steps and after a time her housewifely duty so far prevailed over her indignation at the man's unwholesome solidity that she followed him down the hall to preside over the meal not however to partake largely of it herself mr louden had no information of eugene's mishap nor had mrs louden any suspicion that all was not well with the young man and hearing him enter the front door she called to him that his dinner was waiting eugene however made no reply and went upstairs to his own apartment without coming into the dining-room a small crowd neighboring children servants and negroes had gathered about ariel's gate and mrs louden watched the working men disperse this assembly gather up their tools and depart then mamie came out of the house and bowing sadly to three old men who were entering the gate as she left it stepped into her carriage and drove away the newcomers colonel flitcroft squire buckaloo and peter bradbury glanced at the doctor's buggy shook their heads at one another and slowly went up to the porch where joe met them mrs louden uttered a sharp exclamation for the colonel shook hands with her stepson perhaps flitcroft himself was surprised he had offered his hand almost unconsciously and the greeting was embarrassed and perfunctory but his two companions each in turn gravely followed his lead and joe's set face flushed a little it was the first time in many years that men of their kind in canaan had offered him this salutation he wouldn't have let me send for you he told them he said he knew you'd be here soon without that and he led the way up to eskew's bedside joe and the doctor had undressed the old man and had put him into night gear of roger tabor's taken from an antique chest it was soft and yellow and much more like color than the face above it for the white hair on the pillar was not whiter than that yet there was a strange youthfulness in the eyes of eskew an eerie inexplicable luminous live look the thin cheeks seemed fuller than they had been for years and though the heavier lines of age and sorrow could be seen they appeared to have been half erased he lay not in sunshine but in clear light the windows were open the curtains restrained for he had asked them not to darken the room the doctor was whispering in a doctor's way to ariel at the end of the room opposite the bed when the three old fellows came in none of them spoke immediately and though all three cleared their throats with what they meant for casual cheerfulness to indicate that the situation was not at all extraordinary or depressing it was to be seen that the colonel's chin trembled under his moustache and his comrades showed similar small and unwilling signs of emotion eskew spoke first well boys he said and smiled that seemed to make it more difficult for the others the three white heads bent silently over the fourth upon the pillow and ariel saw waveringly for her eyes suddenly filled that the colonel laid his unsteady hand upon eskew's which was outside the coverlet it's 
it's not said the old soldier gently it's not on on both sides is it eskew mr arp moved his hand slightly in answer it ain't paralysis he said they call it shock and exhaustion but it's more than that it's just my time i've heard the call we've all been sliding on thin ice this long time and it's broke under me ask you ask you remonstrated peter bradbury you oughtn't to talk that away you only kind of overdone a little heat of the day too and peter interrupted the sick man with feeble asperity did you ever manage to fool me in your life no ask you well you're not doing it now two tears suddenly loosed themselves from squire buckaloo's eyelids despite his hard endeavor to wink them away and he turned from the bed too late to conceal what had happened there ain't any call to feel bad said eskew it might have happened any time in the night maybe at my house and all alone but here's ariel tabor brought me to her own home and taken care of me i couldn't ask any better way to go could i i don't know what we'll do stammered the colonel if you you talk about going away from us eskew we we couldn't get along well sir i'm almost kind of glad to think mr arp murmured between short struggles for breath that it'll be quieter on the national house corner a moment later he called the doctor faintly and asked for a restorative there he said in a stronger voice and with a gleam of satisfaction in the vindication of his belief that he was dying i was almost gone then i know he lay panting for a moment then spoke the name of joe louton joe came quickly to the bedside i want you to shake hands with colonel and peter and buckaloo we did answered the colonel infinitely surprised and troubled we shook hands outside before we came in do it again said eskew i want to see you and joe making shift to smile was suddenly blinded so that he could not see the wrinkled hands extended to him and was fain to grope for them god knows why we didn't all take his hand long ago said eskew harp i didn't because i was stubborn i hated to admit that the argument was against me i acknowledge it now before him and before you and i want the word of it carried it's all right mr arp began joe tremulously you mustn't talk to me the old man's voice lifted higher if you had ever whimpered or give back talk or broke out the wrong way it would have been different but you never did i've watched you and i know and you've just gone your own way alone with the town against you because you got a bad name as a boy and once we'd given you that everything you did or didn't do we had to give you a blacker one that's time someone stood by you harry tabor'll do that with all her soul and body she told me once i thought a good deal of you she knew but i want these three old friends of mine to do it too i was boys with them and they'll do it i think they've even stood up for you against me sometimes but mostly for the sake of the argument i reckon but now they must do it when there's more to stand against than just my talk they saw it all to-day the meanest thing i ever knew i could have stood it all except that before they could prevent him he had struggled half upright in bed 
lifting a clenched fist at the town beyond the windows. But, by God, when they got so low they tried to kill your dog. He fell back, choking, in Joe's arms, and the physician bent over him. But Eskew was not gone, and Ariel, upon the other side of the room, could hear him whispering again for the restorative. She brought it, and when he had taken it, went quickly out of doors to the side yard. She sat upon a workman's bench under the big trees, hidden from the street shrubbery, and, breathing deeply of the shaded air, began to cry quietly. Through the windows came the quavering voice of the old man, lifted again, insistent, a little querulous, but determined. Responses sounded intermittently from the colonel, from Peter, and from Buckaloo and now and then a sorrowful yet almost humorous protest from joe and so she made out that the veteran swore his three comrades to friendship with joseph louden to lend him their countenance in all matters to stand by him in weal and woe to speak only good of him and defend him in the town of canaan thus did eskew arp on the verge of parting this life render justice the gate clicked and ariel saw eugene approaching through the shrubbery one of his hands was bandaged a thin strip of court plaster crossed his forehead from his left eyebrow to his hair and his thin and agitated face showed several light scratches i saw you come out he said i've been waiting to speak to you the doctor told us to let him have his way in whatever he might ask ariel wiped her eyes i'm afraid that means i didn't come to talk about erskew arp interrupted eugene i'm not laboring under any anxiety about him you needn't be afraid he's too sour to accept his conge so readily please lower your voice she said rising quickly and moving away from him toward the house but as he followed insisting sharply that he must speak with her she walked out of earshot of the windows and stopping turned toward him very well she said is there a message from mamie at this he faltered and hung fire have you been to see her she continued i'm anxious to know if her goodness and bravery caused her any any discomfort at home you may set your mind at rest about that returned eugene i was there when the judge came home to dinner i suppose you fear he may have been rough with her for taking my stepbrother into the carriage he was not on the contrary he spoke very quietly to her and went on out toward the stables but i haven't come to you to talk of judge pike either no said ariel i don't care particularly to hear of him but of mamie nor of her either he broke out i want to talk of you there was not mistaking him no possibility of misunderstanding the real passion that shook him and her startled eyes portrayed her comprehension yes i see you understand he cried bitterly that's because you've seen others the same way god help me he went on striking his forehead with his open hand that young fool of a bradbury told me you refused him only yesterday he was proud of even rejection from you and there's norbert and half a dozen others perhaps already since you've been here he flung out his arms in ludicrous savage despair and here am i ah yes she cut him off it is of yourself that you want to speak after all not of me look here he vociferated are you going to marry that joe louden 
I want to know whether you are or not. He gave me this and this today. He touched his bandaged hand and plastered forehead. He ran into me, over me, for nothing. When I was not on my guard, struck me down, stamped on me. She turned upon him, cheeks aflame, eyes sparkling and dry. Mr. Bantry, she cried, he did a good thing, and now I want you to go home. I want you to go home and try if you can discover anything in yourself that is worthy of Mamie and of what she showed herself to be this morning. If you can, you will have found something that I could like. She went rapidly toward the house, and he was senseless enough to follow, babbling. What do you think I'm made of? You trample on me, as he did? I can't bear everything, I tell you. But she lifted her hand with such imperious will that he stopped short. Then through the window of the sick-room came clearly the querulous voice. I tell you it was. I heard him speak just now, out there in the yard, that no-account stepbrother of Joe's. What if he is a hired hand on the toxin? He'd better give up his job and quit than do what he's done to help make the town think hard of Joe. And what is he? Why, he's worse than Corey. When that Claudine Fear first came here, Jean Bantry was hanging around her himself. Joe knew it, and he'd never tell. But I will. I saw a buggy riding out near Beaver Beach, and she slapped his face for him. It ought to be told. I didn't know that Joe knew that, Eugene stammered huskily. It was, it was a long time ago. If you understood Joe, she said in a low voice, you would know that before these men leave this house, he will have their promise never to tell. His eyes fell miserably, then lifted again. But in her clear and unbearable gaze there shone such a flame of scorn as he could not endure to look upon. For the first time in his life he saw a true light upon himself, and though the vision was darkling, the revelation was complete. Heaven pity you, she whispered. Eugene found himself alone and stumbled away, his glance not lifted. He passed his own home without looking up, and did not see his mother beckoning frantically from a window. She ran to the door and called him. He did not hear her, and went on toward the toxin office, with his head still bent. End of chapter 20